turns out Adam Krikorian is a pretty modest guy, maybe even uh, painfully modest, as you'll hear on today's Total Water Polo podcast. He joined me via Zoom from Manhattan Beach, California, where we covered his future with the Olympic team, the struggles prior to winning gold in Tokyo, and some speculation on the future of college water polo, all while deflecting his own role in what can be fairly described as one of, if not the best Olympic team in the world. Here he is, Adam Krikorian. There are a few names in the American water polo landscape that require minimal introduction, and here's one of them. Three-time gold medal winning coach Adam Krikorian of the U.S. Women's National Team. Coach Krikorian, thank you very much for your time today. You're welcome. Uh, It's an honor and pleasure to be with you. Oh, you flatter me. But uh, let's jump into the single question. How's your French? How's my French? Whoa, going right into it. Um my French isn't very good, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Uh, I've actually never been to to France, and uh, I'm not sure where you're getting that with, you, with, you're with, not? with that question. But, Let's uh, be specific. Are you coming back for the 2024 Olympic Games? Yeah, you God, man. There's no like, yeah, we just get right to it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. The, the, the answer is I, I'm not sure. I am um, certainly not willing to commit. Obviously, it's a it's a possibility and and an option if if U.S. water polo would be willing to have me back. Oh yeah. I, that'd be it. That's I open think, question. <laughs> uh, I, I think that they, I think that they would, but um, you know, it, it's, I think after every one of these Olympic games, this is obviously again, my third Olympic games, there's, it takes some time to kind of debrief and, and to, to check yourself. You're, you're so committed in the process and the journey. It's something that, uh, that we talk about just as a team, not just staff, but athletes included. And, um, that it's hard to think about what else is out there. And, you know, this is the time of, of any to kind of sort through that. And I'm doing some research, you know, I, I've always been intrigued about, about other avenues and, and other areas of, of interest. And I want to make sure that I'm still enjoying what I do and, and that this is the right thing. And to be quite honest, I think after every games, it's been a struggle, um, you hear about kind of the post-Olympic the games. I, I don't want to say depression, but it, it's it kind of puts you in a funk. And uh, this has been unique, uh, and particularly because of everything that this team um, has been through over the last two years. I think it's been extremely challenging, and it's it's left uh, a lot of stuff to work through, I think, at this this moment. So that's that's the process for me right now and trying to work through those thoughts and have a, a numerous discussions to, to help me figure out what, what the best move is, not just for myself, but what's the best move for the team and the program and everyone around. You were quoted as saying you're fried after this last uh, Olympic Games, and you've just indicated that it was – well, it, it's a delicate question because – um, Brazil was obviously had an, an, you know, an enormous trauma that took place during that. And this one was, it's in its own way traumatic. So are, can you even compare them? Are you fried after every Olympics in the same way? Or you're, you're basically suggesting this one might have taken a bigger toll than others. Yeah, this one certainly has taken a bigger toll. It's no question. Uh, after, after Rio, um, obviously the passing of my, my brother during the Olympics was, was something to, to work through and that was something separate um this time around 
uh, and I'm not looking for a pity party. It's been hard for everyone, but I lost my father in, in, in May. Um, one of my best high school friends in, in June. Um, and then just, you know, everything that this team has, has been through um, with, and it, and again, this isn't just limited to us. And I perfectly understand that. And this isn't limited to me. Our entire team went through, you know, 18 months of, of COVID and all the protocols and the, the, the political climate, the social climate and training together straight for, for two years, 453, well, well publicized 453 days in a row without playing a game. And uh, it's been tough. It's, it, it's, it's been up. So, um, but, but again, not looking for pity. This is what we signed up for. Um, and there's so many positives and so many great things and so many lessons learned, but at the same time, there's, um, and there's a price to be paid for, for leadership just in general. Um, you know, those in, in, in leadership roles and leading organizations or teams or, uh, again, we, we love it, but it, it takes it takes a toll on on you, and it's um, it's definitely left me more fried than I've ever been in my entire life. And um, it's important that I, I think I take some time to to re recoup and and again work through some some things and and try to find out what's best for me moving forward. How quickly after the past Olympics did you decide to come back? Meaning that you had to do a little decompression and it took you a while to decide whether to come back. Uh, how long? Um, I think after I'm trying to think after the first, uh, Olympic games, um, to be honest, I, I was a little disappointed with, um, with, uh, I think it was more of a, a contractual negotiations. Um, that I, I knew I wanted to continue, but I, it wasn't, I think there was some negotiations there that were kind of hanging things up. Um, in 2016, um, it wasn't so much the con contractual issues. It was more just, you know, sorting through, I think my, my personal emotions, but I think fairly quickly after 2016, I, I was ready, I was ready to, to come back. Um, but this time is, is completely different and I'm at a different stage in my life. You know, I'm uh, not that I'm old, but I'm 47 years old. I have, um, I have two children. I have one that's a, a son who's a freshman in high school. I have a daughter who's a seventh grader and I'm already at the, the stage. And especially when you, you've dealt with things and I've lost some, some close people in my life. And, you know, over the last four or five years, you, you, you begin to realize that, you know, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Um, and my family means the world to me. I, I have, I essentially, I have six years left with my kids before they're gone. Um, so I start to panic and I, and, and this, this job takes it again, it takes a toll. And again, I love it. And I, I, again, I'm not looking for, Oh, poor Adam. Trust me. I have a great life. I have a great job. I am so fortunate to have everything that, that, that I have. Uh, but I miss my family, you know, I'm, I'm gone a ton of time over, over the summer and really key months. And so these are all the things that, that I'm, I'm working through and there's, there's so much more, um, not to throw up on all the, on you and all the listeners out there, but th these are some of the things that I'm, I'm personally going through. Well, listen, I, I'm just slightly editorially. It's like, you have permission yeah. to have these feelings, even though 
I can understand you being for sure. grateful for them. So you, you can have both. I think the listeners will understand. Like things are things are tough. Nobody's suggesting to you that you're sitting on right now. You're not actually. I can see you're not sitting on some gold throne or something like that. It's like yeah, it's hard. It's hard work. It it, it is. It is. But I. It's also. I want everyone to understand. It's gratifying. It's also, yeah, I mean, it's an it's it's an incredible job. I'm so fortunate. Uh, I never thought I would be where I am today and, and have had the experiences that I've had and built the relationships that I've had. And um, I have to pinch myself. Um, so I am also very, very fortunate. I, I, I'm a spoiled coach in a lot of ways, right? Like there, there's so many coaches out there who are, are, you know, coaching as we were talking offline before the 12 and unders and coaching at the club level. And I've kind of had to really work their way, quote unquote up. I'm not sure if, you know, coaching um, college or, or the Olympic team is necessarily up. Uh, as we spoke about before, coaching the youth is just, just as important. But, you know, I went from graduating at uh, school at, at UCLA, playing under a legendary coach uh, in Guy Baker to coaching, the, being the head coach of the men's and women's teams at UCLA at age, what, 24, um, and then being the national team coach. So I've had two coaching jobs in my life. And those are pretty darn good jobs. So, um, again, no one should feel sorry for me. I'm very fortunate and very lucky of, with the opportunities that, that have come my way. That is fascinating because I, I don't, you know, of course, everybody knows that you coach at UCLA, but uh, that you're a 24. My goodness. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty young. Let's, uh, I want to dive into the Olympics themselves and then move on mm -hmm. to some other things that are in some ways, I don't know, maybe even more interesting. Um, Two games in particular, and this is where the tough part comes. China, as both uh, as two of your athletes have told me on this podcast, was a bit of a surprise. You hadn't seen them for some time. They showed up in this game. I would argue they were way more physical than you may have expected, and they said that their shooting was just lights out. So I guess the question is, what do you do during a game like that? You haven't seen them forever. What are the changes that you and your coaches and your athletes talk about during a game like that? Are they technical? Are they tactical? Are they matchups? What what happens in order to come out on top? Um, I wasn't surprised by by anything. Um, I, I think part of that comes with experience. They they may have been surprised, but I was expecting a tough battle. They I know they've had. They have some talent. Uh, they have a new coach who does does a great job. And this is one of the games. You know, everyone's going to bring it. And I, that was what our second game, I believe, of of the tournament. And quite honestly, at, at that point, yeah, they were physical. Was I surprised about that? No, they've always been physical. They're aggressive. They're they love to act. Yes, they do. Late, um, which is can be can be frustrating. Uh, they do shoot the ball well. Uh, they have a couple shooters, but we didn't know them, as to your point. We didn't know them, and I think anytime you don't know a team, it brings some anxiety uh, and some nervousness when you're seeing something for the first time in, in a long time. And I think that's what happened uh, for me. as a, From a coaching standpoint, it wasn't so much adjustments. It was more about trying to get us to calm down mm -hmm. and just play the game that we know that we're capable of playing, to be quite honest to we were very nervous and anxious most of the preliminaries and uh that was the goal really and and as soon as we kind of settled down a little bit um 
and got into the game and we just got into the process of kind of uh, quote unquote, making the right play, something we talked about quite a, quite a lot through, through the Olympics, then we were in much better shape. How does that happen? How do you get your team to be calmer or is it simply you just have to kind of wait? Um, well, calm is contagious, right? Uh, so it starts with me and I would say in the, in the first half, that was something I wasn't doing. Um, if, if you watch the game at all, uh, and I've, I've heard some comments, I was upset at the referees and the referees were kind of getting in my head, which is something that I needed to do a better job of in the first half. And that was probably a reason why our team was playing a little bit anxious and, and nervous as well. So uh, it starts with me and then it starts with, and then it's just about reminding them uh, the simplicities and, and diving into to, to the process. And um, when you become more process oriented uh, and really are just consumed with, again, to put it very simply with making the right play, it takes away, you know, 70 to 80 to 90% of the, the anxiety. Um, when you start thinking about the outcome and whether we're going to win or whether we're going to lose, um, and I can't believe we're losing to China or I can't believe we're tied or how many, you know, my mom and dad are watching from home and are disappointed. That's when you spend too much time thinking along those lines. That's when the anxiety creeps up. So it's again, just trying to get them to dive back into, into the process is most important. Is it something you notice yourself? You think like, oh man, I'm being more anxious or does one of your coaches come and, you know, whisper in your ear or poke you or something? Oh, my coaches are great at, 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 at doing that. Um, and shout out to Dan Klatt and Chris Oning, you know, just two incredible coaches that I'm so fortunate to have as, as my assistants. But I also have, I would like to think I have a pretty good, pretty good self-awareness. And, and I remember telling myself on multiple occasions in that first half and in that game, just to calm down, dude. Um, and get, and get focused on what we need to do to, to have success. Yeah. Ignore that South African referee for at least a little bit. Uh, I can say that you can, <laughs> no uh, comment. H- Hungary, um, was a loss. Was it a productive loss? Was it something that reshaped the way you treated the rest of your tournament or was it just, you know, we got to just execute the way that we have planned. Yeah. I, I think, I think they did us a favor. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, uh, and I wasn't surprised by the loss and, and that's an incredible team. Uh, they're great all around. They have great center play. Um, I think they scored three goals out of center. They have an incredible young goalie. Who's enormous. Um, she seems like she's six, four, six, five when she's in there, they have great shooters everywhere. Um, one of the best players in, in the world. And, uh, so I wasn't surprised by the result, but again, we were pretty tight and and nervous we didn't shoot the ball that well they shot blocked really well and their goalie played played great um and the loss i don't it wasn't like we weren't trying and it wasn't like we were complacent um but the loss probably just alleviated some pressure it was like okay um now we're not necessarily defending something right we've we've lost so now we can kind of get back to attack mode and it gave us a, a great opportunity and, and chance to uh, revisit the video um, and then also just revisit some some personal feelings and, and struggles. And uh, the reality was, again, as I said earlier, we were tight. We were nervous. Uh, and anytime you lose or you struggle, it, it, it forces you to be a bit vulnerable. And 
uh, as a group, it forced us to be vulnerable. We had a great meeting that that evening and the, and the next day that kind of got us back on on track and um, made us really be honest with ourselves and, and with each other that I thought built, built the connection and the vision for where we wanted to go from, from that point forward. Your players were very honest with me about being really nervous for this tournament altogether. So does a meeting like that prompt people to just say, look, my, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not performing my best. I'm just really nervous or, or anxious or whatever. Is it something like that? That's exactly what it is. I mean, and, and it just, it, it would get worse. Uh, and for those young athletes that are, that are listening, this is just a really important lesson. And it, it gets worse if you just continue to try to hide it all the time. Um, then you're just dealing it with it internally um, instead of sometimes just being honest with yourself and, and with your teammates. And, and you'd be surprised to learn how many of your teammates are going through something very similar to, to yourself. And then that automatically connects you with the person next to you. And, and then it builds this community of, of support um, and strength that, that helps you get through difficult times. And, and that's just a glimpse in, in, into what happened after that, that game against Hungary. All right. So those nerves seem to have dissipated by the time you played Spain. The outcome wasn't really all that close. And I discussed it earlier with your athletes, you know, that it, that, that I wasn't surprised by that. But I don't know why. Like, I don't really know. I, I, I couldn't. It's not like I'm so um, sophisticated about tactical matchups that I just knew that, oh, this is going to, you know, take place. I'm curious. I re, I'm reminded, you know, John Madden is quoted after uh, the Raiders beat the Vikings in the 70s. He's like, he was really up, up front. He's like, uh, I knew we were going to kill them. I just knew it. And I'm curious whether you can admit that you may have known that the Spanish team was a good matchup for you and that you were going to win or at least perform uh, well. I'll let you off the hook a little bit. Maybe you just thought you were going to this was a situation it, in which you were going to perform well. Yeah, you don't need to leave me off the hook. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoy being on the hook sometimes. You know, it, it, I, I'm never certain of anything. Uh, and I never go into a game knowing that we're going to win. Uh, and I never go into a game knowing that we're going to lose. Uh, I, I respect the game. I respect the, the process. And part of respecting the game and the difficulty within the game is understanding that anything can happen on any given day. And I think that's a big reason why we have success. You know, our whole team uh, shares that philosophy. Uh, however, I did feel confident going into that game that we would play well. Um, for some reason, Spain kind of brings the best at, from us. And uh, we get really excited to, to play them, I think partly because of the respect that we have for them uh, and you know how well coached they are and how many great players they are, um, there are to go against. And at the same time, I felt like we had been through a lot in the Olympic games uh, and, you know, the Olympics is, is it, it, you continue to grow through the Olympics and that game against China was tough, obviously the loss against Hungary, but then specifically that semifinal against Russia. And, you know, we were down by three in, in the first half, which we hadn't been there ever, not, not in a long time, but ever. And, they tied the game in the fourth. We went up and then they tied the game in the fourth. And, and to be able to pull out a win like that when things weren't going that well for us, you know, that's where the confidence comes from. That's where real confidence comes from, right? Is, is not being told that you're great, 
but going through something really difficult and getting through it, getting on out on the other side. So as soon as that game ended, I had a good feeling that we would play well um, and play up to or close to our potential in, in the final. And obviously we did that and I don't think they played so well and we were great on five on six and um, we had nine shop locks in, in the game, nine or 10 shop locks. Really deflated phenomenal. Them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we just kind of steamrolled and uh, I never thought it would be like that, but obviously happy that it, it was like that. It takes a lot of uh, angst out of uh, out of the, the situation. And- We've reached the end of the first half of our conversation today and we'll return in just a moment. All of Total Water Polo is brought to you advertising free and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to TotalWaterPolo.com forward slash give so we can continue to cover the sport we all love in the United States and beyond. Hi, this is Tony Azevedo, five-time Olympian, uh, and you are listening to the Total Water Polo Podcast. And now, part two of today's conversation. When, when during a gold medal game, do you take your phone out of your pocket, put it in your bag? Do you have an extra set of clothes? Come on, tell us when those kinds of things happen. Oh, I don't do any of that. Well, you just, I, um, th- there's no phone in my pocket. Why do I need my phone in my, my, my pocket? Maybe they, I wouldn't be surprised if the kids nowadays, they have phones next to the bench. But um yeah, I, I'll I'll never forget. Uh, I think back in, I think this happened. I, I, he'd have to correct me if I'm wrong, but in 2011, we went to uh, the Pan American Games, right? And we're trying to qualify in Guadalajara, and we ended up, you know, winning in a shootout. I think the longest game ever recorded, right? There was like 20 penalty shots for each team, and um, I'll never forget after the game, we get thrown in and I look in my backpack and I, there's a change of clothes in my backpack. And I'm like, I didn't do that. Why is there a change of clothes in my backpack? Well, Dan Clatt, to throw him under, under the bus here for a second, he, when I wasn't looking, he packed some clothes for me. Um, and, and being nice, um, you know, he's doing, doing the nice thing as he, as he typically does. But, um, I was so upset with him after the game because to me, that's like jinxing it. Um, and from that point forward, you know, he knows um, that you never pack clothes. Um, you just go into it like you would any other game. And uh, fortunately, uh, I, you, you have to go in with the philosophy. If you're, if you win and you get thrown in the pool, you're going to be so happy. You're not going to, you're not going to care um, how wet and how cold you are. And at least you don't have your phone in your pocket because, man, does that cost a lot to replace. Um, that would suck. Let me ask you a bit about the village. Um, I, I really love talking about the cardboard beds, but I'm not going to do that. Is is you, yeah. a, a, as a head coach for a team, are you set up in the same way that everybody else is? Are you sharing a room? Are you in the general vicinity of your athletes? Where are you? Um. Yeah, we're, we're, we're it's the same setup. Um uh, you know, we're sleep sleeping in the same beds, same, same setup. Uh, I, I shared, um, uh, we had a, a little apartment. It was nice. We each had our own room with, it was myself, uh, Chris Oding, Dan Klatt and our strength and conditioning coach, Tim Polo. And we each have our own room, honestly, like the village, uh, and that whole experience. Well, one of the great memories I will have of each of the Olympic games is just 
being in the apartment with my people and um, enjoying that time together, uh, you know, just eating, drinking coffee, um, sitting around the coffee table on a couch and watching literally every Olympic event possible. I mean, that that's one of the coolest things is like, you know, just getting the, the TV access and you are flipping through the channel. And I, I watched, I mean, we watched probably 25 different sports um, and cheering on the Americans. And it's just that quality time that you get with your staff. Um, and I'm sure the athletes will, will say the same thing, the quality time that you get with uh, your, your teammates, all the other stuff is cool. The dining hall and seeing all the quote unquote famous people. Okay. That that's, that's, that's cool. But my feeling is there's no greater time than the time that you spend with uh, the people that you, you love the most. And that's what's, what's most special. You're downplaying a little bit. I think you're a basketball fan, right? It has to be pretty cool to be bumping into some of these guys that are and women too, who are the really good players. You know, the older you get, the more they're not more special than, and the team I coach, you know, like I, I know they're what makes them what, why we put them on a pedestal is, is simply because they're on TV more, right. Um, or they're on social media more. We see them, we see them more. That doesn't make them any bigger or any better than the players and the athletes we have on our team. I mean, heck we, we have, I I'd argue this team was, was just as successful or more successful than any team in Olympic sport history. Uh, what this team did. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Um, I mean, this group won. I think over the, if you just count the games that they played together, like the entire senior team, not some mixed roster with youth team players. I think over those four years, they were 112 and two. They won 113 games in a row. I know, I know the one stat is 69 games in, in a row. Um, but the reality is one of those losses, and not to discredit, like one of those losses was to Australia in a intercontinental preliminary game where we have, you know, five or six youth team members as part of the team. But oh, when friendly. this team played together, we won 113 games in a row. This team won 14 major ch- – and I never, this is stuff I never talk about to the team – because, but at this point, when it's all said and done, this team won 14 major championships in a row, dating back from 2014. 113 games. Row. I mean, this this stuff will never happen again. So, um, being again, to my point is like these athletes are just as special as as any other big time basketball player um, or soccer player, whoever you want to see see in the village. Okay, but I noticed that you use the term "they" and not "we." Because you are part of that process as well. You, I mean, I'm assuming you recognize that. It's just you're being modest about it. Well, certainly I'm a part of it. Um, but so is every other staff staff member. Uh, at the end of the day, though, the staff doesn't play the game, right? We're, we're there helping the game move forward. Uh, the athletes are, are what it's about. They're the ones that make the plays they're the one that make the shop blocks score the goals get the defensive stops we're not doing any of that certainly we help and and lead and provide the structure and organization but um i even hesitate even calling myself an olympian you know it's not 
I think there's a distinction between the uh, the Olympic athletes and um, and and the coaches. I always dreamed of being an Olympic athlete, but quite honestly, I wasn't. I was never good enough or talented enough uh, to be that. And uh, that's okay. Um, I, I don't have any have any problems with that. And uh, yeah, unlike my assistant coaches, who are they're they're both coaches and they both were were olympians them, themselves um let's let's move on i guess to some more sort of like f- analysis of the future i i uh, ask this question fairly often there's an argument and it uh, funny it's i think there are really big parallels between u.s women's national team soccer and water polo and um I, i've heard from coaches that they don't particularly care for that that uh the comparison but in this regard Americans, from the European perspective, are less technical, but they work way harder. They they swim more. They never give up. They really rise to the occasion at the Olympics for some reason. That's the perception you get from a lot of European an- analysts. There's an argument that says the Europeans are coming. Like they they're going to ramp up these technical skills for uh, of their women's athletes. They've been derelict in that regard with com- in comparison with U.S. Uh, athletes what do you think about that notion of like they're every I know you know everyone's coming to get you it's more a matter of like are they coming to get you from a um, are you vulnerable are you vulnerable to them in a certain way because I don't know there might be something lacking in the American system um, I, I would say two things to that uh, I they they've been they've been coming since 2012 um, and this is 2021. So um, we've done a pretty good job since since then, uh, since we've, quote unquote, been at, at the top. And that's not to say that we're going to continue that way. Uh, there's nothing guaranteed forward. And again, as I said before, I think that's what uh, we, we never rest on, on success that we've had. And we, we, we never we never will. Um, and then to the point of kind of maybe not being technically uh, technically sound, but we outwork people. Um, my comment would be we, we again, we, we won 113 games in a row from May of 2016 to January of 2020. And you don't win 113 games in a row by just working harder than everyone. I, um, this group is, does everything. Well, everything, uh, and that's what is so unique. I think this group gets a lot of love and a lot of credit. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think that they get enough. Um, what we've seen here and what they're, they've been able to do in terms of playing at this high of a level and sustaining that success and being technically sound. I mean, we have some of the best shooters. You watch, just watch our six on bot. Um, and you'll see the, the technique and the attention to detail. Watch how we play defense and how we move in, in the water. Watch how we defend the center position. Um, watch our centers work and, and um, watch our goalies play and how technically sound they are. Um, there's a, a ton of attention to detail and we take pride in that. And we also take pride in being more resilient and tougher and working harder than everyone as well. So I think we do all those things. Um, and we have done all those things, whether we continue to do those things, I don't know. Um, that's going to be up to the athletes. 
uh, and how much they, they continue to, to want to try to be the best version of themselves. When you have athletes that are as talented as yours are and are as, and I'm, I'm love the defense that you've just put up for your technical skills and so on, because I think that's right. You have all of these very technically sound, very resilient people on your team. It's re, it kind of reminds me like mid 1990s Dallas Cowboys. It's like everyone knew the plays they were going to run, but they just, executed them so perfectly there's basically no way you were going to stop them is that an apt description maybe of what you get to experience because it's not like you're sitting on the side doing all this joysticking it's you have all of these really talented people and they sort of know what to do kind of on their own is that fair to say yeah absolutely and that's the goal for any coach i think is you know you're not out there playing the game um but the goal for, for any coach is for them to be able to perform on their own and be able to make decisions on their own in the heat of the battle in tough moments, uh, because that's what they're going to have to do. Um, and for them to be able to make the right decisions technically and be able to perform those, those technical movements. Um, you know, typically you, you get to the end and uh, we say this all the time, pressure paralyzes. Right. Uh, and uh, an adversity appears. And so the teams that are most prepared are the ones that are going to excel in those high pressured moments. And if the coach is doing and has done the job that they're supposed to do, the team should really just go out there and be able to perform on, on their own. And um, I think this team has done that and they have to actually take the, take the reins and and this team has always enjoyed to take the reins. Uh, sometimes I have to pull the reins back a little bit, but, um, they have a lot of confidence in, in themselves and they have a lot of confidence most importantly in each other. And this team loves, loves, loves to compete with one another. And they love to just simply play the game as beautifully as they can together. And it's an honor to sit back on, on the side and coach and, coach them and watch them perform all of those skills in the biggest moments. Is it then overrated in some ways when a coach thinks that he or she is going to surprise the other team with something? Is, is it just simply more straightforward and more successful to put your athletes in a position where they know what they're doing and they just simply execute what the plan is? Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I understand your your question entirely, but I, I think that, that that there's still some, listen. There's still some surprises, right? Um, I think there's little there's some different things you can do tactically that um, that that can surprise people, um, and I think that has helped us have su some success yeah, as well. Cool. But it, but 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 at the end of the, but at the end of the day, it 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 always comes down to your fundamentals. And, and how on any level, um, you know, even, you know, even at the highest level in other, other sports, this comes down to who can out execute the other team. And, you know, once you get to the end of this road, you, you get to know the players and the teams and their strategies pretty well. Um, if you've done your homework and so you, for the most part, you know, what, what they're going to bring. And so, Again, not to take away from the surprises and the, and the tactics that can have an effect, but 
at the end of the day, you, you just got to out, out execute your, your opponent. And that's what this team has consistently done over a long period of time. Okay, let's talk college sports. Um, there's an AP story after you won the gold medal that said, "Without college water polo, our sports in jeopardy." Is college sports in is college water polo in jeopardy? Uh, I don't know if it's in jeopardy. I, you know, it's 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 funny how you know we're not in the in the limelight that much, right? We never talk to the media that much. Um, so when you, it, it's funny when you're finally in it and you get a sense of what all the other professional athletes are going through that are in the limelight um, and how you may say something and, and all of a sudden it becomes clickbait and it becomes, becomes a headline. Um, I, I got a, a taste, a small taste of that. Listen, I, 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 I college athletics is extremely important for the success of not just our team, but the Olympic movement in our country. And um, if if there's some demise in the future of, of college athletics beyond, you know, the, the major sports of football and basketball, it's, it doesn't bode well for, for the USOPC and the Olympic movement again in our country. But to say that uh, specifically speaking, that water polo is in jeopardy. I don't think it is. Um, I am a firm believer that there's so much value to having water polo athletes and our, our sport on campuses. Uh, we, we bring a unique, a very unique skill set in regards to our intelligence and our toughness and resiliency and just down to earth people um, that bring great value to, to a university and to their alumni base. And uh, I, I, I'm, I do believe that the colleges and universities see that. Um, now that's not to say that we should be overconfident in the future, um, and, and the health, we need to continue to work, to expand our game on, on the collegiate, uh, scope. And we need to continue to do the things that we need to and includes of getting, getting in the ears of, of ADs and, and, um, fundraising and so on and so forth to, to make sure that our sport is continues to grow. It's just like anything else. It's like, you can't win X amount of games in a row like us and, and be complacent, um, and rest on what you've done in the past. We need to continue to grow. But I also believe again, strongly that our sport is healthy and, um, we're moving in, in the right direction and it's going to continue to thrive on a collegiate level. Supreme Court ruled over the summer um, in favor of athletes, really, in a suit against the NCAA. So now there's a level of professionalization that these individual athletes in particular can go uh, take advantage of their, I mean, I don't know what you want to call it, fame or whatever. Do you think that's going to have any effect on collegiate water polo? We know it's going to have an effect on basketball and football. Well, um, no, directly, no, I, I don't. But indirectly, possibly, I mean. I'm not in the weeds enough to, to really make a um, intelligent comment on that, you know, possibly um, how that affects, you know, football and basketball with the athletic departments could, you know, possibly affect um, our sport of water polo. I think uh, the NIL uh, progress in my mind, I think it's great for, for these athletes. They, they should be able to go out and make some money. 
just like every other student can on, on campus. I firmly believe that. I, I, I think we overstate, and I think there are some people out there who who think that they're going to be able to make more money than they're actually going going to be able to make. Uh, maybe, you know, you, you hear about the Alabama quarterback making a million dollars. Who knows whether that's true or not, or whether that's Nick Saban spinning it for a recruiting <laughs> advantage. But, um, you know, to think that water polo athletes are all of a sudden going to be making, you know, six figures or even five figures for that matter. I mean, that's... I don't think that's in the, in the cards. Um, hopefully it is, but, um, again, I, it's difficult for me to speak beyond, beyond that. Cause I'm not, not in the weeds and, um, I don't like speaking about things unless I truly know the the details and, and can speak eloquently on it. I think you've uh, spoken quite eloquently about a whole bunch of stuff. I really do appreciate your time. That's Adam Kerkorian. He's the head coach of the U S women's national team. Thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure and uh, all the best to everyone out there. This is uh, it's been a tough time for a lot of people in, in our country and a big shout out to all the healthcare workers out there who have been the, the real heroes and through this process. And um, and again, big shout out to you and, and everything you've done for, for water polo and all the water polo lovers out there. It's a great sport. Love everyone's uh, passion for it and your passion for it and wish everyone the best. That's it for today. We'll return soon with more of the Total Water Polo Podcast, but thank you for listening and telling a friend about us. And of course, subscribe and do all that podcasty stuff on most of the biggest uh, distribution channels. Also, go to totalwaterpolo.com forward slash give to help us remain advertising free. And while you're there, go check out our collection of Total Water Polo and TX Water Polo goodies by clicking gear at the top of the menu. Until next time, so long from Austin, Texas. This has been a production of TWP Sports LLC.